right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. We are going to get to our interview with Scott Stallings here shortly. We are back from a great week in Fort Worth at the Charles Schwab Challenge. It was great to see everyone out at the tournament. Thanks to everyone that swung by our little impromptu meetup on Thursday afternoon. Uh, It was great to be out and about with the folks of Fort Worth, and I look forward to uh, making several trips back to the area and to Colonial in the future. It was a great success the first year with Charles Schwab being involved in the tournament. And uh, Kevin Nam, a very, very deserved winner. I was very interested to hear him say uh, that this is one of seven or eight golf courses he feels like on the PGA Tour that he can win at. And he went out and did it. That was impressive. And I thought his interview afterward with Peter Costas where he said he basically engraved his name in that uh, wall of champions on that first tee when he teed off today in his mind. I thought that was really cool. So he walked him in. You know what? I don't need to, I don't need to describe it any further. Why don't we just turn it over to this random, totally random voicemail caller who might have a thing or two to say. What's up, boys? It's Kevin Nall calling from Fort Worth. Uh, not sure if you guys caught the Charles Schwab Challenge at Colonial or not, but uh, there was just one dude who couldn't stop walking it in. That's me. Anyway, um, I'd like to give a few shout-outs. to many, many of you know that I joined Callaway team this year, and it's just been amazing. Big shout-out to my Epic Flash 3 wood that every time I hit it, I flushed it down the middle and my Odyssey Toulon putter that I kept pouring putts in with. Thanks for hashtagging Walk-In Wednesday and Kevin Nall Challenge uh, from Odyssey Golf. Major shout-out to the Callaway staff and the passion to help us play our best golf every single week. These guys are incredible. Oh, and, uh, and I can't forget the marketing guys who, who helped me prepare for this win with the three-hole challenge recently filmed. If you haven't seen it, make sure you check it out on Callaway YouTube now. As for you guys, no lane up. You just keep being you. You just keep doing you. Love you guys. See you guys soon. Thank you, uh, random Kevin that happened to call in. Uh, without any further delay, let's get to our interview with Scott Stallings that we recorded down there at Colonial. I think you guys are going to really enjoy this one. Cheers. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. We are here at Colonial in Fort Worth. Uh, Airbnb of Mr. Scott Stallings. Are you an Airbnb or hotel guy on the road? What's the deal here? Probably more of an Airbnb. This is kind of my last year of my family traveling full time. And, you know, we just find ourselves in houses more and try to have a little bit more space and a little bit more convenient for my kids running around and so on and so forth. And they're not here this week, so we got a couple guys that we rented a house together right here in TCU campus. So who do you who do you room with? I have a 26 year old child as well, <laughs> uh, Trey Mullinax, and then we have our trainer uh, Adam Curley that tra- stays with us. But it's kind of a revolving door. Well, we're going to get to some of the training stuff, but uh, I don't want to spoil too much of the video if people haven't seen it yet. Um, I'm assuming by the time this podcast goes up, that I'll have posted it. But how badly did you kick Tron's ass in the gym today? Well, we got to give him some props because he actually went in there. That's true. I mean, he... All he, I did was film it. <laughs> he made it significantly further than, than most people, just the fact that he went in there and, and you know, took it on the chin. Hey, I'm going to do as best I possibly can. And But uh, based on his uh, night activities the evening before to transition to an early morning like cardio workout was uh he probably could have made better decisions but it was funny he was struggling on the treadmill and then the he ran the fastest he ran all day to the trash can (laughs) i was worried i he had me scouting trash cans for him he's like hey yo does that lid come off that trash can i was like no dude like the one that you need is on the other side of the gym and uh that was the fastest i've ever seen him move and big randy move to go film that to film him sprinting to the trash can but I do got to give him credit, especially his, his dedication to the content. I think he drank extra last night just to make sure that he puked. Oh. <laughs> Full commitment. Well, I guess let's just start then there. I mean, I know it's been the subject of a lot of interviews you've done and, and a lot of uh, questions you've gotten, but your body has changed a lot in recent years and you've shown how much you, I imagine if people watch the video can get an understanding of the de- dedication you've had to your physical fitness what kind of triggered that and how did you end up kind of really transforming your body? Yeah. I mean, 2015 was a tough year uh, for me, you know, on the course, off the course and, you know, just trying to, you know, truly figure out like if I was going to be able to do this for very much longer. And 
do uh, what do you mean by do this for minutes you know, longer? Just play golf, and you know my uh, struggling like I my game sucked, uh, my body wasn't great, you know, so on, and just just trying to figure out what in the world was going on, and uh, slowly but surely started asking some questions. You know, I had my you know, whole unique situation with the tour happening. And to be honest, like as much as I would rather have never gone through that, that was kind of the catalyst. It kind of kicked it off. It's like, man, maybe I, I really do have a, pro- a way bigger problem than I think I do. And I started asking some questions and, and so on and so forth. And there, there's a bunch of different tests I had done, but I was 29 at the time in transition looking into there's a, a test that where they can do your biological age, <laughs> oh, no. which was terrifying. And I guess like, man, we'll just do all these blood tests and, you know, just kind of see how, you know, what, what you are. And my biological age came back and I was 42. I was like, holy cow. <laughs> well, what triggered you getting looked at? Were you just the feeling you had in yeah, your body? Just, I had a, uh, just, I slept all the time and then I wake up and I feel like I go right back to bed and, you know, I had some hormonal imbalance and everyone's like, Oh, testosterone, whatever. That was completely not even a priority. It was just trying to just level out and be what I was supposed to be. And, you know, that was just a, the, the smallest snippet of what we were trying to look at. But at, at the end of the day, it was, um, I was trying to make a change. I was trying to be, you know, take a little bit better care of myself, but I had none of the, like the baseline to even start to do that. My sleep patterns were awful. You know, my diet was average at best. I was telling you guys earlier, like the first negotiated workout I had with Adam was to go from 10 Dr. Peppers a day to three. I mean, (laughs) to go from like that, which is, you know, a few years ago to now (laughs) is pretty wild. But now you can't imagine having a soda. Oh oh my gosh. (laughs) we're We're here at Colonial and I was telling John, my caddy yesterday, I remember one of the first years they had these huge styrofoam cups and they have crushed ice in the locker room, which is amazing. No, just amazing. And I brought my own Dr. Pepper because for some reason they have Mr. Pibb in the locker room. And I remember going, it was a hundred degrees at least riding in the cart to the range. And I had a big 40 ounce Dr. Pepper and I was getting ready to go play a PGA tour event. It's like, what in the world, man, what are you doing? And to look back now, as far as, you know, where I've come is it's, it's tough to say, but man, I'm I'm not going to be the guy that shies away from it either. Like I, I was a horrible steward of what I had. I took horrible care of myself and and if you know what i went through is a catalyst or an opportunity to speak into someone's life as far as man you only get one chance of this you only get one body and you know whether they look at it from a professional golfer or a dad and a husband that's just literally trying to do whatever he possibly can to to be there for his family and you know golf was not a priority and you know the fact that i'm able to do this and, and and be out here and live my dream on the pga tour is a, a huge bonus so whether it's you know 64 or 78 man you know you can kind of take those rounds a little bit easier when you truly didn't know if you're going to be able to do this for very much longer yeah i, I can't speak to it because i'm maybe in one of the worst shapes of my life <laughs> thanks to some some wrist issues i've had but uh i've kind of that's my the excuse I'm giving for not having worked out lately. But like when, when I have been in good shape, the feeling you have all day long of just like feeling fit is kind of irreplaceable. That's what I feel like I, that the vibe I get from you is you just feel like so much more comfortable in your own skin from like the, de- the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. Yeah. And it's just a matter of like setting a, it's not a matter of if and when it's just a matter of what time of day. And you know, I, I, I my time management's way better and it just, uh, it kind of takes the dead time away too. And, and unfortunately when I was going through all that stuff, you know, Adam, who you guys met earlier was, a, a huge part of my life and you know i was by no means uh hey let's go to the gym you know seven days a week is like man let's just try to get there like 20 minutes and you know kind of see what happens and and so on and so forth but like through that like sort of dark time or whatever that's where i found comfort that's where i found you know this is where i go when things are good this is where i go when things are bad and not that i necessarily you know, condone or whatever when, you know, you people deal with substance abuse or whatever, but I can a hundred percent understand how they get there. No doubt. And I was very, very, very fortunate. Cause I, like, I definitely could have probably gone down that road, you know, it was to the point of not like any kind of, it's just try to get away from what I was dealing with on the, on and off the golf course, just trying to figure out truly what was happening. And thankfully, I mean, Adam was probably the biggest part of it. Come alongside and like, hey, man, let's go in there and try to figure out, like, let's find the best version of you in here. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, you know, kind of where we are today. Well, what what did you 
what was the official diagnosis when you did all those testing and got your biologic biological age there? Like what was, were you diagnosed with anything in particular? Yeah. The, I went and saw this guy. It was actually at this tournament. Uh, I, I reached out to two endocrinologists, one in Boston and one in UCLA. And basically they were the two most world renowned guys. And, uh, sent them emails, phone calls, like literally everything I possibly could to try to understand what in the world was happening and reached out to this guy at UCLA, got a call Monday night of colonial. And he said, I can see you Thursday. If I don't see you Thursday, my next available appointment is four months. It's like, I'll be there. I spent eight hours with this dude. It was like a combination of house and Colonel Sanders. <laughs> dude is like 70 years old, white hair, this and that. But he was a endocrinologist, like, but he basically was a diagnostician as well. And that was the best way to describe it. I'm sure he has some crazy title, but in our terms, that's what he did. Yeah. <laughs> spent a bunch of time with him and we come back at his office and I, I, I had no idea. I thought he was going to, Hey man, you take this or, you know, you, you eat this or so on and so forth and you're good. And I walk in and he goes back through and says, well, I can tell you one thing, you're not going to die. And I like literally my jaw hit the floor. Like if my jaw could have hit his desk, it would have, I said, well, to be honest, sir, if, if I would have known that that was an option, I truly don't know if I had to come here. He said, well, man, if you're in my office, that's a re very real possibility. I tell people every single day they have something that's incurable. And I was just, I was shocked, elated, like all the mix of emotions right. you could think of just cause I, I you didn't know, know the I, severity I, of I it. No, I had no idea. He said, you are in rough shape. He said, but I can tell you one thing, it's going to be a long process, but he said, you will get back to where you, you we mm -hmm. think you could be. And he wrote down a list of, you know, pretty basic run of the mill tests and kind of take bits and pieces of each part and kind of put it together as far as this is causing this is causing this is causing this and did some allergy tests, did some food sensitivity tests. And then the biggest thing was I was at a allergist who took a bunch of tick marks and showed me, he said, man, you've been in my office 30 minutes and you've yawned about 30 times. Really? And then he sent me to an ENT, did a, a scan of my sinus cavity. I broke my nose a bunch as a kid and, you know, like rednecks in Tennessee, we just kind of popped it back in place and <laughs> dealt with it, <laughs> but it never like healed properly. So the entire left side of my sinus cavity was a wreck. And the ENT went and then transferred me over to a sleep study and kind of put it all together that my sleep patterns was all just basically obstructive sleep apnea. So I didn't have the, I guess, where the, the CPAP was not required. I had surgery and it kind of adjusted it all. And they didn't, the ultimate diagnosis from the sleep was like functional narcolepsy where I would just, I would lay down like I would sleep and nothing would happen. I would just lay there for a really long time. Ugh. So you're not getting any rest, no, 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 no rest at all. Oh. And so like really long, slow, like stressful job that in call involves in a lot of travel was literally the worst thing I could have Seriously, done. Yeah. It, like, so life on the PGA tour was, <laughs> was pretty tough. So anytime I worked out, it was the best time I felt it was the best I felt all day. And the way that they kind of related it to is like, you know, if the alternator in your car is going to go out, and you got to merge on the interstate or whatever, and you cram on the gas, that thing is going to work, man. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you take your foot off the gas and that thing has just got to kind of idle out a little bit, like it's going to struggle. Mm -hmm. So like anything that was just like super long, methodical, I remember playing the players in 2015. Somehow I made the cut. I have no idea. And I remember I was playing with Webb, who anyone that knows with Webb, he walks so fast. <laughs> I mean, it's running. <laughs> and I remember him walking up down 16 and I was like a hundred yards behind him walking and turned around and said, buddy, like, I'm not hundred percent what's going on, but like, you need to get this figured out. Just like what's, what's happening with you. Like you, you look like you feel terrible. And I said, man, like I truly have no idea what's going on. And that was kind of like the the players in 2015 was the one like was the week I can look back on it as like like I'll never Hearing forget it from somebody else. I'll never forget it, but <laughs> I want to forget it. Right. But that was kind of the weeks like, all right, it's time to take some ownership and 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 figure out truly what's happening here. So what is the next step? Like once you start taking the ownership, is it, you know, immediate change of the diet? Do you start, is this is where Adam kind of comes in and helps you really change your workout routine or what, what do you cut out? What do you add? What's your process? It's just incremental improvements, man. You know, it's pretty hard to improve 10% in one area, but it's pretty easy to improve 1% in 10 areas kind of across the board. And it was just understanding of, 
a little bit diet, a little bit of sleep, a little bit of training and kind of a little bit better time management, a little bit of understanding like, <laughs> man, take what you're doing and we're going to change all of it. And that's why I got, you know, everyone's like, well, you know, you don't really see an emphasis on golf. It's like, man, if I don't take care of this, I can't, I definitely can't do that. And so, you know, the fact that I was mildly competitive, to say it lightly, I would probably say that would be a bit of an understatement. But I was going to say you won three times in this But that was all, yeah. But to say that I was, you know, competitive or whatever and kind of go through that now to be on the other side of it is like to look back. It's like, man, how did I do any of that? Well, kind of looking back at, you know, your your record on the PGA Tour to that point, it was kind of feast or famine. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you, you've won three times, like I said, in that time period, but you, you basically kind of missed about half of your cuts. Do you owe that to kind of your body, not you just being unsure as to how your body's going to respond week to week? <laughs> that, yeah. yeah. I remember looking back and, and, you know, playing rounds and just like, I, I don't know what I feel like and, and why is this happening and, and so on and so forth. And that'd be probably a pretty good segue as far as you guys were asking how I met Adam. Uh, I had a fairly significant back problem in 2012. I woke up in uh, Connecticut. To pl- I was playing. Obviously, the schedule is totally different then. But I woke up and I literally couldn't walk. Like my back was all jacked up and and so on and so forth. And and I'd known Adam, but not to the extent that I know him now. Truly, one. I mean, he's my trainer and PT or whatever. But like. I don't call him that man. Truly one of my best friends in the mm-hmm. world. Like if, if I had a, a few calls left in life, like he would be one of them, like no doubt. And I went and saw this back guy and he's like, man, you need some herniation, herniation surgery on your L4, L5. It's like, man, like I'm pretty young to like be talking about that. I mean, that's a serious, serious yeah, surgery. Like major. And it's like, man, let's jump the gun. So I called that and it's like, Hey, you know, I know we haven't worked together like to this extent, but what do you think I should do? He's like, man, give me a couple weeks. And we did like three a days. Like it was brutal. But he's like, I can, I can promise you. He said, I will give you every ounce of what I'd have, you know, in my training to help you avoid this. He said, I do not think you need this. It's the three days are more structural for the back. It wasn't three day workouts. Yes. No workouts. It was trying to get up the stairs. Yeah. Like truly the the first time I went, he had to help me to his like therapy room and his in the upstairs of his house. And so it's helped me up and, and looking back on it now, the, the surgery was scheduled for 9am, uh, Friday of, it was the true South, which now the Sanderson farms. And it was in the summertime. It was absolutely, it was brutal hot. And we come, uh, and the day I was supposed to have surgery, I bogey free 64 <laughs> and two days later I won the tournament and oh it was just God. kind of like, I remember calling him on my way to the, the next term. I was like, buddy, I don't know why we were putting each other's lives, but like truly it was meant for a, it was divine and, and we're here for, for a reason. And, you know, we've been super tied ever since. And, um, but that was kind of like the, what kicked it off for both of us to be able to, you know, be where we are today. Huh. So I, you kind of touched on it. You said you, you, you <laughs> described it as your incident with the tour. <laughs> well, I, I guess I, uh, you know, people, people know that you were suspended for three months back in 2015 for a self-reported incident, but like, I, I don't think it, I had the full frame of reference on kind of the transition you were going through with your body at the time and kind of your reaction to, uh, I I guess, take us there, take us what happened with the sequence of events that led to that. Well, uh, we, it was right at the time where golf was going to be in the Olympics and they made a huge, uh, as far as far as the tour was going under water, we were, we were, you know, up and up on the drug testing and, and kind of taking that next step as far as legitimize the policy, which the policy has been scrutinized time and time and time again, and policies and procedures. And at and at the end of the day, any policies that has the subjectivity of the commissioner can make the ultimate discretion. Is truly they're going to make the the decision based on what's the best interest of the tour. And unfortunately for myself, like I got held to that. <laughs> hmm. But it was, they had a meeting at the, uh, so say, let's, let's slow that down a little bit. So you're saying like, basically the, the commissioner, you can have anyone can test positive for something and yeah, it lands so on the commissioner's desk and he decides he, what he, to do with that he person. Has, he has ultimate discretion yeah. at the end of the, the policy is 28 pages long. 
I can tell you <laughs> the drug policy. The drug policy okay. is twenty eight pages, and you can go through water ban, ban, what's so on and so forth. Yeah. And and this isn't a, a jab at the policy or whatever. It is what it is. But in terms of if you put discretion in terms of one person, I mean, there's going to be ebbs and flows and all kinds of myriad of emotions that happen in, in regard to that. And at that time, the policy was. I mean, it was battered and torn, and I mean, it needed someone to come alongside. It's like, hey, we'll actually enforce this if mm-hmm. if we see fit. And when I went to them, uh, we had a meeting at at Farmers about you know understanding WADA and understanding like what that meant, and you know, the big thing was like allergies and understanding like you know what you could take, what you couldn't take, what you needed to get approved, and so on and so forth. And said, if there's anything that you're taking prescribed by a doctor, whatever, please tell us and we'll try to help you through that process. Well, I'd been, I just kind of started the health process at the beginning of 2015. I had a, a physical and and doctor said, Hey, you've kind of got some issues with some like hormone panels and stuff. She said, we're going to give you this thing. It's over the counter. I bought it at Kroger. It's like $10 and 50 cents, whatever, like no, yeah. no issue called DHEA. And, you know, knowing what I know now, like, <laughs> I mean, obviously I did not do my due diligence. I literally took the word of a doctor. I bought a grocery store. Didn't think anything about right. it. Right. And is that specific drug listed? That, in that specific drug. Okay. In order to fail for that specific drug, you have to take truckloads. Yeah. And it has to be injected. My Kroger brand, <laughs> DHEA, right. probably really wasn't doing anything. But at the end of the day, it was banned. I didn't do my due diligence. Yeah. That's 100% on me. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I take full responsibility for that. But during the process, I had taken, I had been drug tested the next week and known that I was on that. And I'd, you know, kind of gone through the process. And I remember calling in and I said, Hey, I was drug tested. I passed. Um, I, I took this like while I was on, while I was drug tested, like, how's that possible? Like, how can you have something on the, on the list that's a you know prohibited substance and you have a guy that passes right like the policy's messed up or your testing sucks right like if it's on there like you should get popped and you know that was kind of my point and so i went to him and said i took this i've taken it for at that time i said i've taken it for 28 days here's my doctor's notes here's all my labs here's here's the justification for why we're doing it you know maybe we can kind of help this as far as if we're truly doing this with WADA, maybe we can do a better job as far as educating the players and kind of help them through this process because you know my health and whatever should not circumvent you know my opportunity to live a normal life right and that was kind of my point and so we started going through the process and I turned, I basically self reported in January. I didn't hear anything till about the first week of April and not hear any communication back. At no, all. like we'll get back to you. So I'm playing tournaments. I'm going through and at that, I stopped taking it. Right. This and that. Well, my manager at the time's like, Hey, this water thing is going to be for real. You need to go. So I remember I, li- I was living, I spent the last six years between Scottsdale, Arizona and Knoxville, Tennessee. And I remember going, uh, I called my manager's like, Hey, I, I didn't give the, any opportunity to take a knee on this. Like I reported, it. I did this. I know I did it. Like I turned myself in. I mean, that's kind of in line with how golf works. Yes. A hundred percent. And like, I, I didn't want to give myself the chance to like, Oh, well I passed. I could just stop taking it. No one over now. Right. Like I knew. And, but I truly went into it with the best of intentions. Like, man, if I, maybe we can make this better for everybody. Like, Never even remotely thought, hey, the tour's gonna have my back. Like we're gonna, you know, come alongside each other, make this better, so on and so forth. That you're, was that was clearly not the case. You're not imagining that you would get suspended for like never, trying to help this with never, this process. Never remotely. Yeah. But as a little bit of a so a backup or whatever, the day that I reported, the day that I took the substance that I was suspended for, I was actually suspended for uh, admitted use of a prohibited substance, never for failing, but number eight on the uh, the failures in terms of ways to fail a drug test. That was it, admitted use. Okay. And so I went to the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale, paid $937 and I asked for an Olympic test. Uh-huh. Like if I was going to go, <laughs> whatever, if I was going to the Olympics to the nth degree, I said, sir, like we've literally done about five of these. It's like, no, I don't care my insurance. I'm going to pay for it. Like test me like I'm going to the Olympics tomorrow. And I mean, they tested everything and pat of hair, blood, everything you can think of. Right. I passed everything and I turned that into them and they said, you told us you took it. 
Like I was like, what what what's happening here? Like my I get it that I told you that, but there's a there's a problem, and so coming to find out, like in order to fail for that, you have to take right a huge amount huge amounts. My twenty five milligram over the counter at Kroger (laughs) wasn't probably doing very much at all. Oh, so I think you're kind of building all all towards like the final the final part of it falling on the commissioner's desk and they have ultimate say in that. So do you feel like that basically you were made an example out of kind of this policy in, in some way? Yeah. And, you know, to look back on it, like I was sharing with you guys earlier, like it, this is not a bash on the tour or whatever. This is just a I was a, a good guy doing the right thing at a right time that was at was at the benefit of the tour. And I remember walking into a meeting. I was handed a letter telling me I was suspended. Never got an opportunity to share my side of the story with Commissioner Fincham. And he said directly to my face, he said, I feel like you were trying to gain an advantage on your players. And I said, you could not be further from the truth. I said, if I was gaining an advantage of my players, we'd have never be having this conversation because be still doing it. Huh. And uh, yeah. we kind of went back and forth a little bit as far as trying to you know, figure out the timing and so on and so forth. I mean, they helped me out with all that as far as picking and choosing like when you would go when, down when yeah. I was going out and and so on and so forth. But. I mean, still like that, the fact that that even happened blew my mind that yourself, Doug Barron and Bafik Patel were the three people in the history of the PGA tour to be suspended for (laughs) substance, whatever performance enhancing drugs or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, but those were positive tests, right? Like I never tested positive ever, even though that I'd I'd said that through the, the whole thing that, but Looking back on it, I, there's no way I would be to where I am to this point in my life or my career if I probably didn't go through that. Right. And obviously, there's silver linings and so on and so forth. Uh, truly, do I wish it was handled differently? A hundred percent, man. Course. You know, my kids are going to look down one day and and but be able to sit down and be like, man, daddy did the right thing. Yeah. What What would the advantage even be get, you'd be gaining in that? Even like, let's say you're taking an amount of that that is actually would test positive. Is it for strength? Is it? It, it would probably be strength, like a little bit of muscle endurance. DHEA is a precursor to testosterone. Okay. And, and it, it's also a precursor to kind of help just balance out your hormone panels and so on and so forth but i think so like if you were taking steroids it would help you level out so you wouldn't test positive no it's not like a mask by any means but it's kind of like a an enhancer for uh enhancer is the wrong word precursor to help you know cortisol production you know as far as testogen testosterone estrogen you know so on and so forth and just kind of like helps optimize that part of you know your system i guess because i i I don't uh, i'm this is going back from the baseball days of trying to learn about steroids but it's not like so basically when you take steroids i think like your testosterone goes up and you need to lever out your epitestosterone yeah and that's not what dhea does no dhea just kind of help optimizes and and the production of takes your body and puts it in a better situation to produce its own and it's not like a testosterone enhancer or anything like that but at the time man my wife had a higher testosterone and free (laughs) testosterone than i did i was 29 years old and my testosterone total was 98 and my free was uh, 0.8. Jesus. So, I mean, any doctor or anything like that can look at it like, that's a problem. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> and, I mean, cortisol was all, my inflammatory markers were off the charts. Like, just the the guy was a wreck. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now to look at it, understanding is like, man, pretty, like, proud of, you know, with the steps that we took to kind of make to get to where we are today. So I'll, I'll use uh, I'll use my words to kind of describe this, and you can you can say if you agree or disagree. But it sounds to me like this whole situation that if it's if this had landed on the commissioner's desk on on Fincham's desk in 2015, and it was insert top 40 ish player in the world, the commissioner could have easily thrown it out. But your name was at least like recognizable enough that it almost seems like they wanted to make an example. It was a recognizable name on the PGA tour that they could kind of flex and show this policy on. Is that how you feel it played out? And I was exempt. Yes. Oh, okay. I wasn't going to lose my job. Gotcha. So at that point, like I'd made enough points through the year and I was exempt from winning and you know, I kind of checked all the boxes. Gotcha. So it was a, so you had one in 2014. Yeah. It was this per- was 2015. So you're exempt for 15 and 16. Yeah. It okay. was a, it was a perfect storm as far as, 
you know, a good guy doing the right thing. We're going to uphold our end of the policy. And oh, yeah, he can still do whatever he wants next <laughs> year. You know, I came back at Napa, the, you know, the start of the 2016 season. God, it's amazing. It's amazing to just hear the details of it. Cause like, like I said, like back in the day, I remember reading it. I was like, Oh, okay. We'll see Scott in three, in three months. And you don't really think much about why, you know, you do the kind of what you're talking about. You almost get kind of labeled or being known as that guy that got suspended for it more than the, and the reasonings behind it aren't, aren't told really maybe the way that he would like them told with the full details. So, um, oh, well, okay. So around this, is it around this time, is this, you know, you had this three months off. Is this when you like really start getting serious about the gym? Is that kind of the turning point around that time frame? or? Yeah, I had a huge sinus surgery. I knew, I knew I was going out. I scheduled it and you know, that was the biggest part. And basically they top to bottom, they rotor rooted my entire sinus cavity, throat, <laughs> nose, everything you can think of and just to try to get it back to where like I could breathe properly to sleep and and so on and so forth and that was like the kickoff it's like once I get through this surgery recovery and everything and you know the, I remember the doctor said man it's gonna take me about 45 minutes to do this but I'm gonna mess your life up <laughs> for a couple of weeks <laughs> but looking back on it and the recovery was it sucked like yeah. my throat like just breathing was brutal but looking back like I would do it again in a heartbeat like to feel like I feel now right. to be able to go run around and do the stuff like we did today. Like, man, that's just like a, a normal day. And so that's what I'm always curious. Cause you know, I'm seeing, I'm watching the weights and stuff you were doing in the gym today. And I, you said this was a light day. Does it, do you, do you just feel like you got in your body to a point that when you do this during tournament week, you don't lose any feel in your game. Like your, your body's almost relying on yourself to keep working out, to blend in with your golf. Like if I go lift weights before <laughs> swinging a golf club, I wouldn't be able to keep it on the planet. Yeah, I think I, a lot of people have struggled with that too. Like I watch Kepka like lifting all these weights and stuff, and I don't understand how you balance that with a uh, regular playing schedule. Well, it's just kind of becomes what your normal is, right? Like you know, your your body's not aching after a workout. No, it it's just better. My body aches when I don't like when I have a day off, or like you know when I take some rest days or something like that. I come back into it. Like I do way more mobility, like moving around and so on and so forth after a rest day or two coming in. It's like, man, I hadn't moved around in a couple of days, like trying to figure out, I try to do something every day. I was going to ask that. And yeah. you know, whether it's like a light run, you know, I'd mess around with some yoga every now and then just to try to move around. Our bodies are meant to move. And, you know, so trying to just do something, chase my kids around, whatever. And, but it's amazing that what I feel like, especially after coming out, you know, and it's, it's every day I do something in in regards of from the gym to the course and you know whether it's a warm-up whether it's a big training session light training session cardio whatever and it just kind of feeds into the normal part of my day well so i guess uh, some some analysts and people on broadcast will kind of criticize people for being too obsessed with working out and whatnot but hearing you talk about it it just doesn't sound like first of all golf is not your end-all be-all or what defines you as a person no and uh, it, it's how has that, I guess, how has this translated into your golf game? Have you picked up speed? Have you had to learn a new golf swing with a new body? What's that process been like? <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, we were, um, at Trinity forest a couple weeks ago, my caddy, I'm not, uh, my coach, Scott Hamilton obviously does a ton of track, man. So I, I've learned whatever from him we were hitting some drivers in my caddy's like, man, you like for a Tuesday, like your speed, like what's going on here. And, like never in my life have I been like a one twenties guy, mm -hmm. like ever. And we, I hit one twenties, like, like Rory's like one twenty two, one twenty three, probably. Yeah. Right? So yeah. I hit one twenty point eight on a Tuesday, which on a like early in the week for me is like, man, if I can kind of cruise it around before, like if I could touch like one ten, one twelve or whatever, like it's like Jesus. All right, man, yeah. we're we're gonna be all right. And yeah. then you kind of get it up in the tournament, but like one. 120 was probably my fastest speed of the year last year in tournament play. But just, you know, start to look at it like just way more repeatable. You know, I, I don't have the just the volatility swings of just like, you know, do I feel good? Do I not feel good? My body moves properly. And I feel like I'm able to produce more with significantly less effort hmm. and, you know, kind of get myself into a spot where I can 
you know, operate for a full season. Well, and you just op, yeah, you operated a much more level playing field. So, cause yeah, like we talked, we touched on earlier, you won, I think three times in your first 87 starts, but it was, <laughs> you, you didn't know what you were getting on a week to week basis. No telling. And so like what, but it almost seems like, and I, I remember kind of looking back even at that time in your career and looking like, that's like the way to do it on the PGA tour though. Like you'd rather win one tournament and miss 15 cuts like money wise than have, you know, 10 straight t- uh, T20s or something yeah. like that. Is that right? Yeah. And the, the way that the FedEx cup is now, like it's way more like top heavy. You know, I remember when they did that thing, it was like, you know, you had one top three or 10 top 25s, the 10 top 25 guy would beat the top three. Now it's almost the opposite. You know, that, that top like 12 points guy, like is got it rolling. Yeah. But Anyway, I mean, obviously, more consistency is better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the more times you put yourself in that situation, you know, the better off it is and, and so on and so forth. But I would say that I brought my bottom up a little bit, like in terms of like my performance and the top's a little bit higher. And then that kind of middle range is is kind of where I stay in there. The bottom's not quite as low, but the upside is significantly higher than it's ever been. Because, I mean, you know, as... I don't want to say you've been inconsistent, but as volatile as your week to week performance has been, like you have kept a steady, I mean, I think you've finished outside the top 125 in back to back years. That's the only two times that you've, I mean, you've had your tour card basically since 2011. Yeah. Uh, this is my ninth year. And one of them I've, I've, with the, that was off the FedEx when I was suspended, I, I technically kept my card because money was allowed. Oh, and that's that right. was okay. the, the difference. But 2016, when I came back is when I had to go to the web finals. What was that process like? Was that, I mean, <laughs> I kind of, I, I knew going in, there was going to be a long year. I was making a huge change, you know, physically I was coming back off the suspension. I was dealing with recovering and understanding with the surgery. So like, it didn't surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> Especially like, were you more surprised how close, I mean, you were like what, 128th or 129th or something. Yeah. <laughs> the, the fact that I got that close, but then it was like a mental thing. Like I remember I, I, I lost my card at Wyndham, but like going into it, like I already had a plan. Uh-huh. Like, went to uh, Cartersville where my coach is and we just had a powwow for two or three days and we figured it out finished like sixth in uh, that was Cleveland and then we went to Boise and I finished like fourth or fifth there and I was done that's all you needed I was done I went to Columbus and finished like 20th and I was done you were cruising so you're about, I mean, where do you, where do you rank like on the distance scale on the PGA tour? I have no idea. Just like, would you say you're slightly above average in distance, yeah, would, but would, not, it's not a huge advantage yeah. for you. Do you feel like the tour, like the courses you guys go to since the beginning of the career, your career, I and mean, you've been out here like eight years now, is it trending more and more and more and more towards distance? Do you feel that? Is it something like you're actively trying to gain more distance in any way? No, no. I mean, I think distance is a byproduct of, you know, good mechanics and strength. And, you know, understand, you know, you can optimize some equipment and so on and so forth, but it's not like, man, I'm ready to bomb. If I was trying to bomb it and like I use a short driver, you know, I'm trying to make sure I can find my ball. Yeah. And if I hit it out there and hit it solid, it's going to go plenty far. And that's kind of the way I feel about it. You what know, are your favorite courses to go to? Memorial next week's my favorite course on tour, uh, without question. Uh, I love, obviously I've had a good success at Tory. I, I love it there. I really, really like Congressional. Um, I know a bunch of guys hate it. I think the ninth hole is awful, but the rest of the course I thought was great. I just like the, the feel there. Um, and then I need to play my way in, but Memphis is my second favorite course. Is one I like the places where you make the cut on the numbers so I have a chance to win, mm. especially that, you know, definitely probably one of the most underrated courses we play all year. Why have you had so much success at Torrey Pines? Well, the year I won, I never made the cut. And I told myself if I didn't make the cut there that year, I was never playing again. Oh, God. <laughs> and I, I I won and I got beaten a playoff by Jason Day the next year. So it's like, then I started this idea. It's like, I'm going to go to every course. Like, if I don't play good here, I'm never coming back. And it lasted about three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and then I started playing bad again. It's like, oh, maybe I need a different plan. Was it 2014 you won it? Yeah. The Farmers, I remember, was that the year that if you, you beat uh, like a group of people, a group of five by one shot? Yeah. Right. So I remember I, I, being I, mad. I birdied 18. Yeah. You ruined the chance for a six way playoff, which I think would have been awesome. <laughs> no, it wouldn't have been awesome. It was great. I, <laughs> I, I was, I was very happy the way it play, played out. Uh, I want to, I want to talk a bit about, um, we saw some stuff on Twitter in the last couple of weeks, but what you're doing with junior golf in Tennessee, how that started and, uh, and what, what's going on there. Yeah. 
So it was 2011, 2012, you know, kind of in that regard. And uh, the Tennessee Golf Foundation director, Dick Horton, uh, I, I was down in playing in Vince Skills Pro-Am called the Vinny and got kind of summoned to like the principal's office. I mean, Dick's a great guy and he's actually, he's actually just retired and transitioned over to another guy. Whit Turnbow is going to do an incredible job with the foundation and just Tennessee golf in general. But came in alongside and said, Hey, we want you to kind of figure out what you're kind of put your foot in and, you know, your stamp on golf in the state of Tennessee. And, you know, it's up to you to figure out what you want to do. And it's like, man, I have no idea. And a, a really good friend of mine that was working for the golf association at the time was like, back when I was in junior golf, we had a thing called the tri-state where Tennessee, Kentucky, and Indiana, we had the best juniors and we all played against each other. Well, logistics and seasons and junior golf in general just completely changed. And that went away. And I was like, well, we're not worried about those other states. Let's do our own thing. So we started the junior cup. We're coming up on our eighth year. We take Tennessee, split it down the middle, I-65, 10 boys and four girls from each side, and they just have it out. Ryder Cup, we do it at the Grove, south of Franklin in Nashville. And they've been incredible hosts and, you know, kind of a culmination of the season where they finally get a chance to be on the same team. And then we do another thing in Knoxville, Kids Play Free, where we took uh, two uh, par three courses in Knoxville, Beverly Park and Concord, and provide opportunity under the age of 18 free golf 365 days a year and we took nuts (laughs) we took time cost availability all the stuff balls gloves tees everything you could need to play just show up and you know parents are encouraged to participate and basically just try to give an introduction to you know the game that we all know and love and you know whether they choose to try to play it competitively whether they just it's going to teach you something right <laughs> maybe something you don't want to know but it will give you the opportunity to learn something from it and um it's been a really cool process and we're going to try to spread it throughout the state uh coming up but it's kind of something where i could be a part of there in knoxville where i live and it's been really cool the amount of you know social media stuff i get you know hey i took my kids to play golf for the first time we can't wait to go back you know yeah. thank you for doing that and it's like man like keep those coming right I, just... I love it people taking pictures because there, there's a picture of me at one of them like hey you know, think this is my daughter. This is the first time she's ever been at a golf course or mm. if this is my son. This is his favorite place to come. Like I love getting that kind of stuff. And well, I think you're being a bit modest with it too. I think I read <laughs> 6,400 rounds were last year were free of charge. Thanks to your kids play free program. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Like well, to that point, like the, <laughs> the actual feedback and pictures from actual humans, I imagine is a lot means a lot more than seeing that number. Like yeah. it's just a number on a page, but when you start to hear the human actual reaction to it, it kind of changes things. Yeah. Like the, the numbers and all that stuff, I don't think I really have an idea to wrap my mind around it, but I have an opportunity to know, like, you know, seeing, you know, a, a seven year old, like little blonde girl with a pink bag and, you know, she's ready to roll. And just like, this is her spot. This is where she likes to come with her dad. They come on, you know, Saturday nights or Saturday and Sunday mornings or whatever. And they, then they go and play together. Like, you know, that's the stuff that I want the opportunity to have, you know, where it's not necessarily like, oh, well, it's expensive or, or so on and so forth. The courses, you know, it's just getting them out there. Right. It's yeah. You don't and, know any better of yeah, anything you're doing at that point. Just get out there and have an opportunity to go experience and, and learn from the game that's given me more than I ever deserve. Yeah. And I, I think that that's, you know, something hopefully other guys will take to heart and, you know, try to figure out other opportunities. You know, it was a kind of cool idea we had and, doing a big fundraiser September 9th. <laughs> Where's that? But, at? Uh, it's at, uh, in Knoxville and, uh, we're going to kind of get the word spread out here pretty soon, but, uh, try to, as I've, I've spent the last six years transitioning between Scottsdale, Arizona and Knoxville, Tennessee, and we're building a house in Knoxville and that's kind of where we're going to be. And, you know, kind of put, do some stuff with my family and, and, you know, integrate golf and other things to, you know, be a part of the things that we want to do to try to help out the community. And that's definitely one of them. Well, I think, you know, the amount of people, and I'll play golf with somebody who, you know, maybe a 10 handicap or something like that. And they'll inevitably ask me, how long have you been playing golf? And I'll say, yeah, since I was like seven or eight, like I was lucky enough. I, my mom and dad would drop me off. It would pay $9 at Twin Oaks Country Club, which was not a country club at all. It was a nine hole course. And we play it all day. But like mm-hmm. I got those reps when I was young and I have a decently natural ability to hit it. Whereas like you just, it's something you can't learn late in life. And like mm-hmm. I have so many people I run into 
say, man, I just wish I would have started earlier. Like my girlfriend wishes she would have started earlier. Just having that natural ability from an early age. Like it's a golf is a game you can play for life. And like, like you said, you can learn so much from it, whether you like it or not. I learned a shitload about like adversity and like dealing with making an eight like yeah. and having to pick yourself up and like not getting down on yourself and and kind of i don't know there's i think there's a ton of life lessons to be learned from golf and i think it's awesome that you're kind of supporting that program yep. anything we can do to help let us know yeah my son uh, just started getting into it we got him his clubs and and so on and so forth and i asked him if he wanted me to help him like learn he said no i don't think you know what you're doing <laughs> but he's very quick to like how old your son? Uh, he's six. Okay. And just trying to like, just watching him. And the other day he went with me when I hit some balls and he, he decided he wanted to try to hit his driver out of the bunker. And he was getting mad because it wouldn't go in the air. But just seeing that, it's <laughs> right. like, I remember that. I remember being that kid. I remember going to the course and, and hacking it around all day. And I mean, there's so many different things that the, the, the game has taught you. And uh, it's like, I think it's Legos. Like there's, there's you, uh, I think there's something that comes in a pack of Legos, like instructions from Legos or whatever that yeah. says, like, don't teach your kids how to do this. Let them be creative. Let them learn and figure it out on their own. It's kind of like that with golf <laughs> yeah. driver out of the bunker. Let them learn. That's not the yeah. club. Yeah. It was funny. We were at, we were at the, we were practicing and uh, there's a couple other guys that are watching. It's like, you're just going to let your son over there. I was like, he's going to figure it out that that's not going to work. <laughs> but if he does, maybe he's figured out something that I, I don't know that he could teach me and, and so on and so forth. But just seeing like, you know, him get out there with his clubs and just try to figure it out. And I could care less if he decides to play golf sure. awesome but if not like i'm gonna support him in whatever he does but his it's weird that he had no interest in all of a sudden he's just kind of taken off he did the kids play free went over there it's pretty close to our house he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna try this out for a little bit and seeing that side of it has been pretty interesting especially from a parent's <laughs> and especially that I, I do that for a living well i was gonna say if you go in there and tell him not to hit driver out of the bunker he's just gonna want to hit it more and, and more and, out there. no matter what i say he's gonna try to do the opposite and he's like you don't know what you're talking about and it's like uh, sure that's fine <laughs> have at it so you've been on tour for a long time now where do you how has the tour kind of progressed and where do you see golf professional golf and golf in general heading yeah, I think it's interesting to to think of. I remember talking to guys when I first got on tour. It's like, man, if I make it five years, if I make it 10 years, if I make it whatever. I think that the way that it's progressing and just the, the length of seasons and so on and so forth. I remember uh, being in Phoenix. There's so many other athletes that, you know, they have specific off seasons. And, you know, whether it's three months or five months or, or so on and so forth. Like you look at the tour schedule the way it is now, they may say the FedEx Cup is over, but I mean, the fall schedule starts the second week of September. So, I mean, you're the FedEx Cup champion for about two and a half weeks and you're ready to roll again. And I think that it'd be interesting to see kind of the progression of whether it's the Champions Tour or, you know, whatever, some kind of hybrid or so on and so forth. But I think you're going to see guys, you know, get to the point where it's like, man, I'm done. Like I've done this for 15 years. Yeah. I've, I've traveled 250 days a year. Like I've fortunately I've made enough money. I can go do whatever I want. I don't need to chase this like I used to. And you know, when the guys used to play, you know, they had an off season, you know, whether it's three or four months to go get away from it or whatever. Now that if you're going to stay competitive and you're going to be able to be out here for a long time, that off time is going further and further and further away because you just, you're falling so far behind. If you take yeah. a bunch of weeks off uh, and, and, and whether it's that's during the season or off season, obviously those top 50 are a little bit in a different situation, but I think there's, and obviously that's where everyone strives to be. You have a little bit more leniency in your schedule. Um, but in terms of your, you know, you know, quote a typical standard top 125 PGA tour player, I mean, you're talking roughly 30 events a year. And I think that's obviously more than what it was in the past, but just the the volatility of, I mean, you're looking at almost 49 events coming up on the calendar year with opposite field and so on and so forth. I think it'll be really interesting to see how golf progresses in terms of career longevity. And, and obviously we're in better shape. We take better care. That's at least a, a something that people think about instead of our <laughs> well and i think to that point it's you know i think a lot of people listening to this will like could take the the stance of like oh poor you guys you get to play for millions of dollars every week yeah. there's so many opportunities to play for millions but 
seeing, and I've said this a million times to the point where people are kind of bored of hearing of it, but like, it's a grind. Like it's, it's hard physically on your bodies to travel every week, even if you're in great shape, like it's just a lot on tough on families. And, and kind of to your point, I think you're saying is like, you kind of almost have to be on the road so much. It's not the benefit. You don't get the benefit the middle. I don't want to say like your, your kind of class of tour player, you don't get the benefit of like picking and choosing a tiger like schedule. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, play better. That's yeah, the answer. Uh, yeah. That that is that that's it. You're trying I mean, your hardest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the answer to everything. And you know, there there's there's sometimes where play better is applicable, and there's some where it's just kind of cold hearted and just like, hey man, yeah. you, you know, you got to figure it out. So those other guys that just accept the facts, like, man, I need volume, I need volume to accumulate points and and so on and so forth. But I think it'll be interesting to like you hear guys like, man, if I make it to forty, and I want the option to be done and yeah and no, this isn't a knock like i don't want to play champions tour golf or or whatever you know who knows i mean i'm 34 now and though the idea of not playing sounds so foreign but right. but getting you know later on down the road you know just having the option and it'll be interesting to see what guys choose to do when it was just a foregone conclusion you were going to play to the tour and knocked you off or and then you're just going to hold on for dear life till you got the champions tour and ride it out right but i, I think that is going to change significantly well kind of correct me or steer me if i don't understand this right but from what i understand so the tour is a member run organization i don't know if that's the right phrase or whatnot but basically it's it's like the at least the executives on the pga tour their part of their pay or bonus structure is based on the amount of playing opportunities they create for the players. Does that sound right to you? Are you familiar with that? Or yeah, I mean, they're it's going to be hard for them to turn down a, uh, someone that wants to give them money to put a tournament on. That's that's my point. But like, I wonder how long, how many more can they keep adding? And I I feel like I wonder where the what the incentive is i think that is the incentive like for for yeah. them to keep adding tournaments is like okay they get they get financially rewarded more and more but, but also i mean that provides opportunities it, to it, us it as does well and and i don't want to be the guy that's like oh feel bad for scott you know he's he, all these tournaments and so on and so forth but th- i will never complain right ever about that i just more the the from an objective perspective hey two month break w- or something. what what are guys going to do when they get Older, what you know? It'll be interesting to see kind of what what the trend is because I I think you're about to see a shift. Yeah. Just in the terms of especially, we just got an opportunity to preview the spring or the fall schedule, and it was like, whoa! How like, many events is it in the fall? <laughs> I, pro- I projected thirteen. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. Up from six or whatever it was. Yeah. At, I remember the fall used to be you played five events and you ended at Disney and it was awesome. If we could bring back the Disney event, yeah. now, now that I got two kids, is like, man, we, we didn't have any kids. We played this tournament and you got the passes and you stayed there and all this. And that's like, I remember we went during Bay Hill. We took uh, my son, we took our kids and it's like, man, if we played here again, that'd be great. <laughs> so if anyone from Disney hears this, like, yeah, please let, put some bring, money let's, up. Let's bring it back. <laughs> um, no, that's, yeah, that's interesting perspective. I mean, it's, it's, there's a balance to be had there, right? I mean, you wouldn't, you don't want playing opportunities to go away for guys, but at the same time, you you feel like maybe you're overextending yourself to to make sure you keep the FedEx your FedEx Cup ranking up. It's kind of nuts. Yeah, I remember talking to a, a buddy of mine that uh, he plays for the Nationals now, and it's like, man, y'all y'all season is long. He says, man, our season is long. Look at your season, right? <laughs> like, I mean, you know, with pre, if they make the playoffs or whatever, you know, with preseason and and so on and so forth. I mean, they get 180, you know, almost 190 games if you run deep into the playoffs sure, yeah and he's like man that's still half the year yeah he said the other half of the year is spring training he said when well, we still got a significant amount of time where there's not a lot of baseball to right. be had and i just don't think about their theirs is really long but it's in a really condensed part of the year and i think so on and so forth and obviously there's the physicality of football and and hockey and and so on and so forth that kind of takes so like man we got to give these guys a break and maybe golfers aren't looked at as much as the yeah. physical demands but i just well it, it would just be different if like I, I would imagine you would want to have your try to time your game to peak at mm-hmm. the right times when now with the current schedule it's like no just be on all the time basically yeah, there's no just, time yeah you just take it you know you take it as it comes and so on and so forth but the one part that golf probably has a struggle with in terms of marketing value and so on and so forth is just the the way to stay relevant. 
and obviously there's a huge you know struggle with football season and so on and so forth so it's hey man we're just gonna keep throwing at you where you know you may not focus on it, but you know it's always there right and then with the schedule change with the majors and and you know kind of falling incrementally month to month to month you know kind of all throughout the summer like it's going to be there yeah. and you know people know that they can be relied upon and so on and so forth and like oh man there's not a tournament for two months uh all right, I'll see you in Kapalua. And, well, that's you know, what, and, the, and, when January rolls around, I feel like everyone is excited. Like everyone's yeah. like, let's go. We're back. We're ready. We got a break. And let's. And the winter is like the best, the best stretch on the PGA Tour. I think yeah. it might be that people are inside and not able to play golf and they're watching it. But, man, we see huge spikes in engagement from January through March. And when we were trying to like tweet up a storm and events in July, it just doesn't, nobody's yeah. paying attention. It's just, yeah. it's crazy. And I, and maybe that's the, the idea as far as just volume, 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 volume. But you know, as a guy that's playing, it's like, whoa, like yeah. my up, uptick of tournaments and tournaments, tournaments and tournaments, tournaments. And I've been on the other side of that too. Like my rookie year, I missed my first five cuts in a row and I played 37 events my rookie year. I mean, I never want to do that again in my life, <laughs> but I was on the flip side of it. I, I missed so many cuts and tried to like volume out to where, man, maybe I can just, you know, uh, sort of whatever, keep my card. And then I kind of capped out and then I won and it was like, crap, I'm in all these tournaments I've never been in before. I'm just going to keep playing. Right. And then you get done and you're like, holy cow, I've been on the road. I, I slept in my bed. My, I said, I played 37 events. I slept in my own bed, my rookie year, 37 nights. Oh my God. <laughs> well, it's God. That's what the, the part. I maybe envy you guys or maybe don't depending on how I phrase this, but it's got to be so hard to say no to like, all right, there's $7 million up for stakes next week. I can go play in it if I want to, or I can rest. Yeah. It's got to be so hard. Like which one of those do you choose? You know what I mean? I mean, it's like you're bypassing an opportunity to make a significant amount of money, but like you need to be able to, to rest and, and have peak performance. I don't know how you guys make out schedules. That's the part that to me, it's like, especially now with the adjustments, like you got to cut and trim some big time events. Yeah. That's just, you know, we're kind of disciplined and kind of sticking to a plan and, and so experience, on so, yeah. and understanding like, you know, the, the ebbs and flows of golf. Like I remember I played a practice round with uh, Pat and Kazari yesterday and we were talking about the wind uh, in a practice round. It's like, Hey man, what, what time your rookie year did you ever consider the wind direction? <laughs> Um, we we're on number three, yeah. you know, the uh, dog leg left part of the horseshoe. And it's like, well, you know, today we're going to take it over here. And it's like you get up in the, you know, your first off Thursday morning and it's dead into you out of the left. And you played your practice around at four o'clock in the afternoon is down off the right. And you hit a wedge in the green. You get up there Thursday morning, you're pumping a foreign and they're like, what in the world? I didn't even know this was possible. <laughs> and I mean, that all comes with age. And yeah. I mean, I was an idiot when I first, I mean, not that I'm any smarter now, but I've got a great guy on the back that kind of helps me uh, through the process. But you start to learn through all that stuff and and kind of be able to figure out truly like <laughs> our, just going through the practice round yesterday we were cracking up as far as all the dumb stuff we used to do like i never carried a book i never carried i, I never looked at the forecast i never looked at anything i just like i'm gonna go out there i'm gonna play golf like thursday like i did on sunday and nothing's ever gonna change it's like <laughs> i mean this couldn't be further from the truth i hit eight iron in here yesterday it's gotta yeah. be the same club yeah right? it's gotta be the same it's gonna be easy it's gonna be like i'm always gonna have the wind in the direction i want I'm, like, yeah. I'm, I'm never gonna have to fire away from the flag i'm never gonna have to you know make 10 footers for par like but no i mean that's not reality. That's what, what amazed me was, you know, kind of talking to some guys we were out the practice round yesterday and, and talking about how hard some of the shots were or like that was the mindset. And I wanted to say to the guy, I was like, dude, like it's hard, like relative, but relative, like you guys are literally the best at this. You know what I mean? And like members play, I know you play different teams, like members play this course every day like that. It's really hard for them. But the mindset of some guys of being, I don't want to say intimidated by certain shots, but thinking about how hard they are, it's like, I don't want to say this quite literally, but it was like, if I had your guys' talent, I would try so much harder to be like, this isn't hard. Like, I'm great at this. Like, I, I, don't, I don't want to take this attitude of like, this is too hard for me to do because I don't know if, this, if that makes sense or not, but I wanted to shake the guy and be like, it's not that hard for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe we try to like play it down or whatever in our minds or, you know, 
any opportunity to spend some time on tour, you realize that, you know, we're just normal guys that, oh, happen, sure. that happen to be just a little bit better at golf than most. A lot of and, better. And yes. <laughs> I would say a little bit, <laughs> but you know, that's all relative. But at the end of the day, like, you know, there's the emotions that come into it and, for sure. And, and you kind of deal with like, well, you know, this, this was really hard today, but tomorrow, you know, the day before it felt pretty easy. And, you know, you kind of, there's so many different variables that come into play, but it's funny the shots that freak people out, you know, where you see, you know, half the guys like, man, that shot just, I don't even think about it. And then you see like, man, I had this 40 yard, like pitch shot, like in the grain over the bunker. It's like, man, I was wigging out. Like <laughs> I, I don't have that shot. And you hear a tour player, like tell someone like, I don't have that shot. Yeah. And it just, it freaks people out. Steve Elkington <laughs> told a story about Tiger saying that to him about this, like punch nine iron shot. He said, Tiger's like, yeah, I don't have that shot. I'm like, <laughs> it's like you do. You don't yeah. know if you do, but you do. For the record, I'm not saying that shots aren't actually hard like there's a ton of what you guys go through and walking back to some of those tee boxes man just it's got does it beat you down at all kind of the the, the constant constant challenge you guys face yes but on this part i'd say that you know the the second part of my career uh i look on it as you know the the good days are great and the bad days are a little bit easier to deal with yeah and that's truly a, a, just a fresher perspective and my ability to handle complaining on the tour and in the day-to-day process like no one is coming and getting you out of bed and making you go play on tour right. that is a choice so you deal with it as it comes along and you know they're you know, the attitudes and stuff that come along with it, man, I can't stand it. And I've right. been pretty outspoken in regards to some guys in my groups like, man, you don't like it. There's the door. Like there's a bunch of people that take your spot. Mm-hmm. And I think that just comes with a perspective of, I know what it felt like to feel like the game was getting taken away from me. So now I know an opportunity that every single time I'm out there, it's like, man, this like, I love this. Mm-hmm. I, I, 74s aren't great. And I don't love them, but I take them a little bit easier to, to know that I'm going to have a chance to do it again the next day. I imagine as you get older, kind of your emotions that come with the good and bad rounds, like you don't get as high when you have a great round and you don't get as low when you have a bad round. Because you kind of know, like, I don't want to say like you're, you, you know what your talent is, you know what your ability is, and you know you're going to be in that range and you're going to have ups and downs within it, but there's no point in majorly, unless there's real technical issues, there's no yeah. point in majorly stressing on a day-to-day basis of like, like when you when you shoot seventy four and you go home for dinner, I imagine yeah. it's the same when when you yeah. go home and shoot sixty eight. Yeah, and I just the the woe is me and yeah. all I get is bad breaks and so on and so forth. Like I literally have zero patience yeah. for that whatsoever. And it's like, man, and we all deal with it. Yeah, like this one up, man. I got this break and I got this break and I got. It's like, man, we're just gonna come in. We play the best tour in the world on the best course in the world. We're treated like kings, like. It's pretty good. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, pretty good. Instead of this rain delay pity party, we, all we need like self help, like you know, Doctor <laughs> Ruth or whatever the you know the the columnist that like help you through the day or whatever. I feel like we need her in the locker room to kind of talk us through. Like, all right, you're going to get through the day. You're going to be positive or whatever. Oh man, you're playing golf on tour. It's awesome. Yeah, like get over it. Yeah, you had, right. you had one thing you mentioned about Tiger. Yeah, so we're getting ready to play Memorial next week, mm-hmm. and I get asked this question all the time, and I didn't mean to like iterate this part of the story but Do it. I got asked I said you know everyone wants a tiger story or whatever so I, in my career I played with five guys when they were number one in the world play with Luke Donald play with Rory play with Dustin uh, and Jordan and Tiger and 2013 he's player of the year we were playing we're in the second to last group on Saturday at Memorial where he's dominated we both shoot like I think we shot seven, we both shot 73 and it was uh, scrapey like that was pretty good for what the way we hit it. And we're walking up 18, and he, you know, I, I remember bits and pieces from, you know, talent level. Like, I, I, Rory was the only person I saw him do something. I was like, man, I ain't got that. Yeah. Like, I don't have that shot. <laughs> wow. That was pretty awesome. Luke Donald, short game, sick. Jordan's putting joke. Dustin just completely could care less. Mm-hmm. Like, whether he makes double bogey or three hole in ones in a row, it's just get up there and hit it. And I'm really good at this game. Mm-hmm. But Tiger, mine beats everybody. Yeah. Like a hundred times more than anyone else. So shoot 73. We go from, you know, second to last group to like, you know, 15th or 18th or whatever. And we're walking up and we're going to sign our scorecard. And I said, hey, man, enjoy the day. He said, uh, 67 tomorrow. I'll see you in a playoff. I'm like, this is two seconds after we've put it out. We have not made it off the green. I said, really? 
said, wind's going to change. We're going to go out a little bit earlier. Of course, it's going to be a little bit firmer. Said, we're going to have to play a good round, but 67 tomorrow, I'll see you in the playoff. He, I was in the group in front of him. You remember where he like uppercut? It looked like he punched Ricky in the face when he chipped that ball in on 16. Yeah. So I was in 17 fairway. So, well, so I, this is 2012. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, he won in 2013. Was it 13? Okay. Yeah. I thought it was 12. Okay. He, remember he changed his shoes because he putted in 19 with white shoes for some reason. <laughs> Super weird. But we're standing on the green on uh, – he he makes a, about a 30-footer on 18 to win by two and shoot 66. And I waited for him in the scoring tent. Like 67, honey. He's like, yeah, I kind of sucked that one in on 18. <laughs> and he wins by two. He ended up shooting nine under par. <laughs> And I'll never forget that. Like, it, it was 2012. Okay. Sorry to correct yeah, sorry. you. Sorry. Yes. But I was there on that 16th yeah. green when he chipped that in yes. and had that uppercut. And that was, that was wild. I mean, he literally looked in the video. That's I mean, crazy. he's 15 feet from Ricky, but it looked like he's punching him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah. I he like, called I, that the day before. Day before. Wow. But he said, you know, 67 playoff. Name Birdie's 18, 66, win by two. I was like, <laughs> What'd you shoot the final day? I think I shot like 73 or four. <laughs> so you just missed the playoff. <laughs> I, I just barely missed it. <laughs> but uh, that's my, like, if, if I could tell a Tiger story or whatever, like, yeah. I looked at my caddy, he's like, that's why, like, that his his mind, like, he's just going to will himself to just thinks about it totally different. And that was, you know, he had won the hero, like, that uh, fall before that, but he hadn't come back and won a tour event, I don't think, on the full schedule to that point. And I remember that comeback win being like, oh, boy, he's, he's back yeah. again. So, all right, Scott, we're going to get out of your hair, hair, man. Thank you for the time today. Appreciate all the perspective. This has been awesome. Yeah, man, I appreciate you guys having me on. Love what you guys do. And, uh, you know, keep pumping it out. I can't wait to see the videos of Tron. <laughs> we'll do it again sometime soon. Cheers. Right. Thank you, man. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! <laughs>